Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Kayla Mason. My name is Todd Ixenbaugh. Caleb, I've been thinking about it. Do you think that there might come a day when we have to change up this, the intros that we do? I'm just thinking about it, and I'm like, we do the same thing every episode. We have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Tyler Reagan of Catalyst. He is the president of Catalyst. Some of you have heard us talk about Catalyst before. We've actually, um, both of us have gone to the Catalyst Conference before. Uh, before doing that, Tyler served as the service programming director at Brownsbridge Community Church, which is part of North Point Community Church. And we're super excited to talk with Tyler today. Yeah, we are. So, Tyler is a guy who I, I kind of follow just generally what he's doing on Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Um, and he is a mover and a shaker, man. If you follow him on, on Instagram, he like is a world traveler. He's all over the place. Um, but Tyler uh, Tyler rubs uh, rubs shoulders and elbows up against just some of the best leaders right now going in the business world, in the church world. Um, and Catalyst literally impacts hundreds of thousands of yeah. leaders across it, the world. It, and not just through the conference. I mean, think about the, the, the podcast they do um, and just the one days and everything. I mean, there's just so much stuff. And then they partner with, with organizations like Compassion and all these other things. Yep. And he's getting ready to come out with a brand new book, The Life-Giving Leader. Yeah, yeah. Guess who's excited about that? Not Caleb. His look on his face right now, like I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. But before we get into that, we have our Learners Corner podcast recommended resource of the week. And my Learners Corner podcast resource is a podcast I recently started listening to called The Master of scale podcast yeah, with is. Reed Hoffman. What is it about? So it's a bunch of interviews conducted by Reed Hoffman, who um, I think is the founder of LinkedIn. I think so, but somebody's going to have to Google check that. Yeah, somebody Google check that for me. But um, what he does is he interviews all sorts of different founders, like some of the episodes that I've listened to. He's talked with I'm the founder of Airbnb. He's talked with Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg from uh, Google, Eric Schmidt. Just Ooh. a few people. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you. You've been telling me about it. I've listened to some of the episodes, but I haven't listened to, to, like, to it religiously yet. It's really good. And he talks about yeah. he. There's a specific focus for each episode, and he just interviews them about each of them. And so oh. I highly recommend that this podcast has become – and here's one of the really cool things Uh-oh. that he does is sometimes he'll just do specific episodes, but then he'll get crazy and he'll release just the full interview that he had oh my with the people, which can sometimes be – Two, three well, hours. No, not that long. Is it crazy? Does it get cray? Over an hour. Yeah, it's pretty good. So basically it's the normal length of a Carrie Newhoff podcast. Shout out to Carrie. Carrie, we want you to come on this show. I'm listen. I'm speaking this into life. Okay, there we go. So this has been your Learner's Corner approved resource of the week. By the way, with that podcast, um, how so? So if he is the the guy from LinkedIn, I think he is. How in the world we need to try to get him on the show? I need to just know how he's getting in contact with people from Google. Okay, so if anybody's got a connection, hook us, us up. up. Do it. We want we want to do that. At Learners Podcast. At Learners Podcast. On Twitter. Do it. So Okay, we got a really great interview. We today do have too. a we do have a great <laughs> we interview. Just, we're talking, we have a good we're interview. talking with uh, Tyler today, and so without further ado, we're gonna jump into our conversation. Well, Tyler, we're so excited to have you on the Learners Corner podcast today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. You know, just as we get started, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Catalyst initially? Yeah, so I um, prior to Catalyst, I was with Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church, and uh, kind of the ministries there helped start two of our churches within that that scope, and uh, was really in the creative space, uh, the service programming space. And so um, I would produce Drive, which is uh, North Point's main leadership conference, and I just fell in, I, I just fell in love with producing events. And then about eight years ago, I think it is, I need to do the math, but I just make up numbers all the time. So we'll just say eight years, eight years ago or so, um, Catalyst invited me to come over and produce the the three big Catalyst events at the time, Atlanta, West Coast, and Dallas. And uh, I was still working at the church. I, I love the church. That's part of why I do what I do still. 
Um, and started producing those as a, as a contractor. And then about two and a half years later, Brad Lominick, who was my predecessor and said, Hey, would you be willing to come over full time and, uh, produce all of our events, be our creative director, and then really develop our staff. That was a big part of the conversation because I had developed my own little leadership company. And, um, I just love it. I love leadership. I, I think it matters. It's really important to the, uh, to our faith. It's really important to other people's faith journey because how we lead affects their faith. So, um, yeah, I, I said, you know, I prayed about it a little while. What he didn't know is about six months before that, I felt like the Lord had kind of made some stuff clear to me about what he had called me to do. And then it was really, it was perfectly aligned with what, what Brad was asking. Cause truthfully, if I had talked to Brad before I landed on those things, I'm not sure I would have said yes. But when God speaks to you and works on your heart on something, and then six months later, it's exactly what he's talking about. You kind of feel like, okay, I got to take a risk here, but it's not really a risk because he's the one that's kind of coordinating this. So yeah, yeah that was uh, five years ago. And then uh, a year after that, I moved into the, the director role. And so I've been, been sitting there for the last four and a half years. Hold on. So we're not talking with Brad Lominick? <laughs> no. What, no. What the heck? I thought we were talking. Oh, I'm just kidding. What a letdown. What a oh, letdown. Gee. I know. Literally, I'll still get emails from Brad. I got an email this week from Brad saying, hey, all these guys want tickets to Cattle's West. And I'm going, okay, Brad, you were gone five years ago. Like, they're still coming to you asking for tickets? What's that all about? Let's go. Like, what's uh, – I'm getting off the call. Yeah, it's, I know. It's going to be boring from here on out. Jeez. Hey, Tyler, one thing I want to ask you about, you know, in the midst of that transition time, you know, what did you learn, you know, in the midst of, you know, Brad transitioning the leadership of Catalyst over to you? Yeah, that's uh, it's funny you say I've really been processing this a lot lately, thinking about because I was we were uh, with a church recently and the pastor had taken over for kind of inherited a mess, really. They had a, a tough situation they had transitioned into, which was not the case here. Uh, but I just have so much empathy for people that, that inherit anything from a team to a group to an organization, good and bad, because it's hard. Um, so a couple of the things, uh, one of the major things I learned was how to um, how to honor the past and not be crippled by the past. Because what you find is you want to really honor Brad Lominick and Gabe Lyons and Reggie Joyner and, and you know the people that have gone before you with Catalyst, knowing so many people at that time loved the way they did it, loved the decisions they had made and were bought into them. And now all of a sudden you got to figure out if they're going to buy into our leadership and the way we want, we feel like God's calling us to go. And, you know, something beloved like Catalyst, you got to be careful with because you want to honor the people too that have come before, you know, but at the same time, you'll find yourself honoring forever and you'll never move forward. If you don't find that confidence to go, you know what, I'm going to honor. And I'm honestly going to honor longer than I should probably just because I'd rather go that, that far with that. At the same time, I'm just, you got to trust that the Lord's put you in a position to lead it. And so there's a, and, uh, you know, you guys in student ministry and kids ministry, like it's the same thing. If you were to leave and go to another church right now, uh, what do you do when you go into something that maybe the person before you was loved and cared for or the opposite? Maybe somebody that they were so glad they're gone. Well, there's still two different. I mean, you got you got to walk through that very carefully, not on eggshells, but understanding the sensitive nature of transitioning something like that. So I think that was a huge part for me was how, how in the world do you honor Brad? You honor their work, but also not be stuck to where I have to do those things the way he did them. Or people aren't going to like me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's a really important thing when you're transitioning something is listen long enough, you know, pay attention, hear what's going on, honor with the past, but not be crippled by it. Are there any like specific examples that come to mind for you of how you like how you tangibly have honored the past without living in it at Catalyst? Yeah, like I, I would uh, even when I first came over the first year and a half, I was with Brad. He was still leading and I was the creative director. And he, he had told me, he said, hey, I would love for you to just help develop our culture, maybe like grow the staff. And he and to Brad's credit, he's very much like, hey, if there's an issue, let's fix it. You know, and I remember um, there was one time where I said to the staff with Brad in the room, I said, hey, guys, here's the issue that I see among how we need to operate differently. And I said. And I just looked at everybody and I said, now, when I say where I feel like we need to go, I'm honestly not saying anything about the past. What I'm saying is we got to do better and go this way. And so there's a way to do that, even with the person in the room. I think the other big thing is, is, you know, there's so many people that want there to be a story 
there wanted to be a story of Brad, why Brad left and why I took over and this, that, and the other. But there's not a story except for God's timing and God's calling on our lives. And to be able to kind of debunk all those ideas or theories or whatever publicly by, by he and I both honoring the story and the situation has been really helpful uh, along the process. So now, but those, those are examples of like sitting in the room going, Hey, I think we need to be better at this, but I'm not saying that what Brad has done up to this point is wrong. I'm just saying we need to, we need to pivot and we need to go a different direction. And um, so it's just how you say things. It's, it's really emotional intelligence is a huge part of that. How do you recognize the emotion that's around this transition and try to, uh, honor it and not even honor it, but like say it out loud, go, Hey guys, I know this is going to be hard. I know this is going to be a little bit painful. And for you, Steve, I, you know, like be call it out. Like I know for you, Steve, he was your best friend. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm, I'm just praying that, you know, we can, we can partner in this together and we can move forward. Like you got, you got to be honest about it be upfront. It's, I remember when I left the church to come here, one of the biggest things I had to do was grieve the loss of that identity. Mm. I was the service programming director at Brownsbridge for seven and a half years. And that was my identity when it came to my vocation. And then I showed up at church a week later and I wasn't that person anymore. Wow. That's weird. That's really weird. And so if you don't take time to call it out and go, man, this is weird. I'm kind of sad, honestly, even though I'm really excited about this new season, my whole identity just took a, a weird turn, you know? Um, and so I, I think there's, there's some power in saying things out loud and, and saying, what people are thinking out loud, you know? One of the things that you talked about just a little bit is, um, you know, as you were coming in and the things that you did um, to honor the past. But one of the things I'm interested in is, as you you just kind of touched on it, as you were leaving the church, so you were leaving a, a very, you know, great big, everybody knows North Point, um, all this kind of stuff going on. But you were going into a, an organization that has an incredible history as well. How did you manage expectations? during that transition? And how have you continued to be able to do that? So expectations of me or expectations of the organization or both? Both. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've done it well. No, I, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Catalyst is, um, it's a very public thing. And a lot of people have opinions about it. I don't know if you know that or not. You guys might even potentially have opinions about it. Uh, None that we would say opinions. out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 it's a very public thing. And so when you inherit something that's very public, any change you make, there's going to be a group that loves it. There's going to be a group that's probably like, oh, here they go, or here's that thing. Uh, but a big part of leadership, in my opinion, and it's kind of uh, part of the book that I'm finishing up right now, is that when, um, you know, Paul says in the, in the beginning of Corinthians, he says, I, Paul, an apostle appointed by God. There was a significant that's not an arrogance. That's a confidence in calling. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the hardest things to actually embrace in your life is that confidence that God has put me in a position to make these kind of decisions. For the first two years, truthfully, I was very self-deprecating about leading Catalyst. Uh, that's kind of my defense mechanism is humor. And so I'd get up on stage and be like, well, I don't even know how what God's sense of humor is crazy because he put me in a position like this until I recognized that I was actually dishonoring the Lord's call in my life. Because, uh, you know, I'm making fun of God for doing what God does. Like, there's no explanation except for God doing something like this. Um, And so I think a piece of that is when can leaders embrace their unique calling and, and, and become confident in that and accept that, which is a big piece of living up to expectations, because it allows you to deal with people's expectations, good and bad with some sort of gauge on what's grounding, what is my center of calling? Where, where do I need to live and stay and be knowing that people are going to want me to go this way. People are going to want me to go this way. They're going to want me to go down, up, left, right, whatever. I need to be able to confident in myself and go, I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to listen and I'm going to honor and I'm going to love the people around me. But I'm going to stay the course. And a piece of that is being confident in the calling. So I think honestly, it's hard. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. Like uh, when you, when you're, doing something that everybody has a certain expectation for, like Catalyst, man, you feel the weight of that some days, you know, more than others, because you're like, oh, did I make Craig Rochelle happy this week in the way that I serve, you know, like prepared? Is that a good event that he's, am I, I'm, I'm stewarding a lot of people's time. I'm stewarding a lot of their resources. 
And so that's, that's a really hard, high part of my role is to make sure that I'm stewarding it really well. And so, um, you know, it's, it's important to me to make sure not just the expectations of the public are met, but the expectations of our speakers and our VIPs and our influencers and our attendees and our vendors and our sponsors. Like I want them to feel that we are for them and that we do not take stewarding their time lightly. It is a big deal to us. And so uh, I think keeping all that in perspective has allowed me to kind of just go, you know, the expectation is that we're going to serve leaders. We're going to stay there. Well, Tyler, one of the things, um, just as we're talking about transitions that we're seeing right now happening in church world is a lot of prominent pastors that are kind of stepping down out of their positions. They're founding pastors. They're, they're the guy they've, they've done all this stuff. I'm thinking specifically like Bill Hybels, um, uh, in particular, and, and they're, they're being replaced with not just one person, but, but teams of people yeah. who are kind of taking that on. Uh, let's start with this. What's your take on, on that? as a, as the next step of succession? And then are you seeing this as a trend or is this just what's happening in these instances? Uh, I don't know that it's a trend. I mean, it, the reality is people get older every, every day. And so it's, it's always going to, we're literally going to always have this question is how do you transition? How do you create a succession plan for your organization? I think, uh, and again, one of the subjects I'm thinking about a lot lately and, and is how, how do you lead when you inherit anything? You, it's not yours. You're not the entrepreneur. You're not the founder which honestly is what 95% of us do, right? We come into something we didn't start. Most entrepreneurs, the reason that they keep starting things is they can't, they're not made to lead something that they didn't start, right? I mean, it's a gift. It's a different gift set. I am not entrepreneurial. Like I'm just not, but I love taking something that exists and making it better. Like that's something I get excited about. And so I, I think there's a, uh, I think this is always going to be an issue. Transition is always going to be an issue. I think that the hard part is these massive personalities like a Bill Hybels. Yeah. What, why you're seeing a team come in is because they're trying to go, how do we replicate some of the things that he does? Well, it's hard to find. And, and I say this to my team all the time. If somebody were to leave and I'm, I'm going to rehire, I rehire the position. I am not trying to replace Steve or Jessica or whatever, because if you get in the mindset of I've got to find their replacement, you're looking for them. You're looking for what they brought to the table. You're looking for those. Instead, it gives me a chance every single time to step back and go, is this position that was created five years ago where that person was in it? Is it still doing what we wanted it to when we started it five years ago? Is this a time to tweak it? And what is the best uh, personality, chemistry, character composition? that fill this type of position now. It lets me remove myself from that person that's been in there for so long, that's so beloved, that's so, you know, whatever. And it allows me to look at the position and go, how in the world do I replace and create a new position type? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, it does. And I think, that, I think that's the challenge that some of these organizations are facing. But even, you know, working at North Point for over a decade, I think one of the main reasons that it's not North Point, Northwest, East, South, whatever, they're each their own community names, is specifically a succession plan, which is that if a day that Andy leaves and there's a church that says, you know what, I think we're going to kind of go our own way, which, you know, as of right now, that would be silly, but it might not be silly in a decade. It might not be silly in 20 years that each of these can now be on their their own community uh, churches led by their own teams. And the good thing is they are led by their own teams and they're being coached at a multi-site level. Um, but it allows that if Andy, you know, I mean, if Andy's going to be a really tough personality to replace. <laughs> yeah. You know, Clay Scroggins is, is one of the most consistent communicators. Clay's amazing, but he's not Andy, right? right. That's not Clay's fault either. He doesn't need to be Andy. He's got to be Clay. Well, what does Clay bring to the table that's different than Andy? What well, might not be the scope of everything that Andy's handled for so long because of his unique skill set? It might take a Clay to be a teaching pastor, or you know, and then a, a group to come next to him and help do the execution of the training and the leadership development, some of those things. So, at the end of the day, this is always going to be an issue. It's something we always are going to have to address. Um, and that's why I think it's so important that we as leaders recognize there are some really practical leadership things we have to do when we inherit something like this or we're trying to move into something. So one thing that I want to ask you about, because I think it ties in to is I've heard you talk a lot about um, this prayer of, you know, tear down the name of Catalyst and raise up the name of Jesus. 
And so I'm just kind of wondering, you know, where, like, what kind of led you to start praying that prayer? Because I think it's, I think it's very similar to what we're talking about is that, you know, it's not about the leader. It ultimately is about Jesus. Or if you're just an organization, it's about the organization, right? Like if it's a business, it's about the organization. Yeah. It is, but Todd, the reality is that we, we always, everybody wants to say, oh, the organization, just remove the personality. You can't do that. You cannot do that. Like, it doesn't work. Like, you even trying to say, oh, there's no real leader here. Like, we're all doing this as a team. Like, I get the philosophy behind it. People want to know who's their leading. And they, they want to know who, what is the DNA of this place? What does it look like? Who, who can I trust the people? Look, when people are donating to your church, to this organization, this, they're donating, yes, on the purpose, the mission, or whatever. But if they don't like the person or the people's leading it, they're not going to give there. Like, so there's, there is a reality that personality is a huge piece of this conversation. How we lead is a huge piece of that by our personality. The other thing um, that you're specifically asking about, pause, because I just forgot. I got off on that tangent. Um, <laughs> What did Caleb say one more time? It was uh, yeah, um, I was asking about the, the prayer. Oh, oh tear down the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I'll just, just pick up right back there. Um, but back to your question, Caleb. I I really believe we are so uniquely positioned because we're not a church and we're not a denomination that we are neutral in this conversation. And what binds us together as an organization with the people that come to Catalyst is the name of Jesus. That's it. We have Anglicans, we have hyper-reformed, we have uh, at our one day in LCB in Lancaster County, uh, Pennsylvania, we have Amish people, that, uh, Amish uh, leaders that come when we, I mean, so literally it, and what I love about my job is that when we get together, let's say at Catalyst Atlanta here in October, there'll be nine, 10,000 leaders that are not sitting around going, wait, why are they here? Oh, wait, I can't be here. Why are they here? Because what we're saying is, look, we can all be here because we're all here under the banner of Jesus. That's it. And so it really is just more of a going. We just it's it's a reflection of who we want to be about um, and what we want to say. And so um, obviously building a brand and marketing. Of course, we have those conversations. Of course, that matters because you want to build a brand that people trust. I used to do an exercise with when I was in the creative process, and I would show them a Justin Timberlake uh, DVD uh, DVD. There we go. We're getting old, right? <laughs> DVD conversation. <laughs> and I showed him the one from, uh, gosh, probably eight years ago. And I had him watch the uh, watch the D, the concert with a couple ideas, number or questions in their mind. Number one, why would people pay a fortune to come see him? Why would people drive for hours to come see him? Not They don't have a clue what's going to happen in the concert. They don't have a clue what he's going to wear. They don't know what he's going to say, any of that. But it's because they trust it. They trust that he's going to be an entertaining, incredible show, right? So building brand matters because you, you, you want to build somewhere where people go, I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to come. I mean, you're going to put some names. You're going to put some speakers I have never heard of before. Okay, we trust you because you've proven you're trustworthy, right? So you got to build a brand. I'm not, I'm, trust me, we're, that's a big part of what we do, right? But the point of building the brand is to gather leaders to raise up the name of Jesus. That's, that's literally the entire point. So, um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. But for me, that's, that's really the heartbeat behind it. How, how do you build that equity? Is it just longevity? Partly, but you got to be good at what you do. I mean, my, my thing has always been, man, the, I wouldn't say the faith-based community's reputation is always uh, world-class in the way we, we execute. Mm. And we just always said, you know what, we're going to be as world-class as anybody I know of. Uh, I know you guys have had um, Dan Pink on your show uh, before. Dan, one of the things he said to me uh, or said to our team after he was with us in Atlanta was that this is one of, he said, this is one of, no, this is the best event I attend because it has got an incredible feeling and vibe and incredible organization. Well, this is a guy kind of outside our circles. That's literally probably one of the highest compliments I've had in years was for somebody who does this for a living. He speaks all over the world at all kinds of uh, events. And for him to come to a Christian event and say, this is probably the best event I go to. That to me goes to the, we're going to create something world-class that even 
you know, non-believers or non-Christians or whatever would see and take notice and go, wow, you guys are really good at what you do. Well, that gives glory to God too, you know? Sure. Well, so as we're kind of on that topic of creating equity and things, let's talk a little bit about longevity. Um, what yeah. has contributed to the longevity of Catalyst? Oh, man. Um, you know, it still amazes me, and I say this humbly, like, it still amazes me at all the people that want to speak at Catalyst that want to be a part of Catalyst. Like, uh, usually the only time we get a note from a speaker is because their calendar is already booked. It's not because the request is something that they don't want to do. So that we still have that going for us, which a lot of a lot of Christian leaders still see us as one of the top uh, places to come get in front of leaders and share. But I think that's that word leaders is a huge part of it is we're in a unique lane. Like I would say, uh, you know, Whitwell Creek Summit uh, Leadership Summit's in a similar lane. Obviously, they talk about leadership. It's just a very different model, and it's and it's done very differently. And I love those guys. Steve Bell's a close friend of mine, and I love we're we're building kingdom stuff together. We just go after two different ways of doing it. So I think the leadership leadership never gets old. Leadership you can never have enough of it. You can never be trained far enough that you feel like there's not a new issue. You got to get more training or, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a real need and it will always be a real need for us. I think the way you stay in the game long time is you create a reputation where you're not the hero. The people attending your events are the hero. Donald Miller talks about that in story brand, that our job is to be the guide, not the hero. It's the attendee. So what we've tried to do over the last few years is make it so critically clear that we see the people walking in those doors as the heroes, that we want to be guides for them and serve them and love them and breathe life into them so they can go back and be the heroes in their places that, you know, that they're working in the places they're serving. And so I think it's a combination of humility with a combination of building a strong credibility where people go, we trust you. And the, the truth is, I mean, when I inherited it, it was 15, 14 years old. Like, you know, you got to, you got you to, gotta, you got to make some course corrections or adjustments. You got to turn the ship a little bit. You got to do things to go, hey, and there's people. We probably lost some people as we turn. We try not to turn too sharp so they didn't fly off the side of the boat. But but we want to turn enough. And uh, I recently was at this retreat where they talk about they're not trying to get you to go 180. They're trying to change you two degrees because two degrees over a few years is a significant difference oh, wow. in uh, where you're going. And so uh, I think it's just being smart, paying attention to it, and always trying to go two years, three years out, what do we see and down the road? Because if we don't pay attention, we're going to be lost and we're going to lose the ability to serve people. So what, what are a couple of the tangible things that Catalyst does to make, you know, the audience or the people attending the hero? Oh man, I think, I, I think Caleb, it's, it's posture as much as anything. Um, how do we posture ourselves? Do we posture ourselves up here going, preaching at you, like you've got to do this and you got to do this. Here's my big thing as, as a leader. And I tell our team this all the time. We have to go first. We have to go first on these themes, on these things. If we're going to stand up and encourage leaders to go a certain direction, to be courageous, to be fully alive, and we haven't even done the work ourselves on it, then we don't have the credibility to do that. What are we talking about? And we, so, so it's not preaching at them. It's trying to go before them. And to put the voices in the right order, in the right place, and get the right voices to be able to say, hey, based on what we've learned and what we've experienced, these people can really speak into this conversation in a way. So I think some of it's going before them. Um, but I, I think a lot of that, too, is how do we serve them when they show up in our space? How do we serve them when they're not in our space? What does it look like to do free content consistently? How do we, how do we come alongside going, hey... We are thinking about you day in and day out, and we're trying to help you be a better leader because we know, as Craig Rochelle says, when the leader gets better, everybody gets better. Yeah. And so how do we do that well? So I think it's just intentionality around a posture of serving. Another thing I want to ask you about is, you know, you and your team, you influence, you know, tens of thousands of leaders, you know, each year. And I'm just curious, you know, what does the process for determining like the direction of how you're going to lead people look like, you know, this, this year, you know, kind of the theme for catalyst is of good courage last year yeah. was uncommon fellowship. And so how do you go about determining what that theme is going to be and what you're going to focus on for the year? Yeah, that's a, uh, 
I can't tell you everything, okay? Because that's the secret sauce, guys. Secret uh, but, sauce. <laughs> secret sauce alert. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, it really, there's nothing that secretive about it. Honestly, it's just, it's hard work. It, it requires a lot of consistent planning and time and brainstorming, getting the right people in the room. I think one of my favorite things about Catalyst is we've got 23 staff full-time. Uh, and people are like, wow, y'all do a lot for that. Well, we do because we keep it lean on purpose. We have about 150, you know, people that are, we would consider the kind of inner core of Catalyst family and who, who have full-time jobs, do other things. But when it comes to brainstorming the themes, being at our big events, hosting, you know, things like that, they're in and they, they are always have been a part of that. And they're, so anytime we start thinking through a topic, we'll pull from that 150, 200 people that are kind of part of the family that know us, know our DNA, whatever. And I love it too, because it's a mix of people that have been with it from the beginning and people that are brand new to it. But what we're going to be able to do is go, Hey, these five people have such expertise in this topic. Let's get them in the conversation and brainstorm them this. I think the the other big piece is we just spend a lot of time. We pray every Monday uh, as a team on our faces. We our office. You can't see it right now, but if you turn the camera around and look out, you can see the arena right off to the left where we do our big Catalyst Atlanta event. So it's just a strategic place for us to pray on our faces towards that place, symbolically about all that we do. Going, Lord, we want you to move. We want to see you do what only you can do in this moment. And so a lot of that comes out of that prayer time. Going, Lord, what is what are the felt needs of leaders right now? What is that? You know, what does that look like? Um, even for Of Good Courage, we'd actually kind of laid out for four years a topic for the four years, some things that we, we uh, feel like are DNA things for Catalyst. And then we have to dig into, now, how do we express that, con- that topic in a unique way? And it's just a back and forth. A lot of it's me and my uh, content director, Jason Haynes. Praying about it, working on it on our own, coming back together, going back again, coming but, you know, so even as a good courage came about, we knew we wanted to talk about courage, but we didn't really know what. So he had done some work on his own. I had been thinking about it a lot. I went into his office and I, we obviously, Joshua 1 9 is very clear. Like we, we, everybody's heard that be strong and courageous. But I remember growing up, I heard it in the new King James version and I had learned it that way, which was be strong and of good courage, which is a very, it's just that that little word of is a really unique addition to the thing. And so I went in and I said, hey, what about this? Do you like that phrase? And then he said, dude, listen to this. And he had just read to me the, the Greek word for courage that would be used in that situation, which is tharse. And what tharse says is that it is confidence infused by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Wow. We both got chills in that moment of just like, whoa, that's big. Because the of is describing that we're made of this. Like it is, it is literally in us. We felt like that was a really fresh take that that courage isn't something we have to go look for, but courage is literally infused in us by the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of how it played out. And then we start fleshing it out and building it out. Who and now we go, who are the best voices to hit this conversation? Who are the best? So big, big change for me was I came over as a programming guy. So now we we will get on speaker calls with every single speaker and we have done the hard work and we'll go, hey, we had a call this week with Patrick Lencioni for West Coast. Hey, Pat, we've heard you talk about this. We saw this talk. And here's where you are in the journey of the two days at Catalyst. This is what we feel like you would be best at. Now, what do you feel about that? So that, And he literally, this was one of those moments where I was like, either he loves us or he hates us. And he said, uh, and Pat's super like, what? Like, he's just kind of all over the place, super fun. And he goes, so wait, 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 guys. You want me to do a talk specifically to the theme? And it was just like pause and I'm like oh no like like what's that and he goes I love that that's fantastic everybody always just asks me to do one of my canned talks no way this is you know like but it's that extra step instead of saying hey Pat whatever you want to talk about man cool instead we're going here's the journey we feel like the Lord has taken us on we want to take leaders on here's how we feel like you fit in now pray about this how do you play what do you want to say that kind of lines up. And I promise you, I have not had one speaker go, I don't want to talk about that. They literally have all gone, gosh, that has so been on my heart. Oh, that's perfect alignment with what I want to, you know, like it, it's yeah. been an amazing thing. So yeah, just getting super intentional with the theme once we get past that point. Cool. So kind of the next thing we want to ask you is what, what are some of the things that you intentionally do to help contribute to the culture 
of Catalyst, whether it's, you know, staff values or staff culture or best practices, whatever it might be. What's your secret sauce? Oh, man. Sauce? Brian Neeson, huh? <laughs> uh, well, clearly, I'm hilarious. That is probably the top on the list. You know, um, when you're as funny as I am, people just want to work with you. Um, so, no, Brian Houston always says that um, you don't you don't create culture. You just live it. And um, I think one of the most important parts of creating life-giving culture is um, you have to lead it. You have to live it you've got to be the model of what you want your team to do. So, you know, some examples for me is I've always said, I'll try to, to the best of my ability, I'm never going to ask my team to do something I'm not willing to do. And so, uh, because when the president of the organization doesn't have to do something, but chooses to do something, it says something to the people because we, we are trying to serve leaders. I have to serve these leaders. They would, they need to see me serve them and love them and care for them in a way that I want them to love and care for the people that we're going to be serving. You know what I mean? And so one of our big things at event week is people are not an interruption to our day. So, you know, you've got a to-do list, you got to get this done. You're on your way. You're checking that thing off. But if somebody, an attendee, a volunteer, uh, a vendor stops you, they are not an interruption to your to-do list. They are why we are doing what we're doing. So I have to try to model that here at the office too. I've got plenty of things I can be doing. But it means something when I sit down and check in on uh, somebody on my team and, hey, I heard you got engaged this weekend. How'd that go? Tell me about, you know, like there's something. Uh, the other piece is back to like serving. Um, I'm, I would consider myself and I'd go out there and tell, say this publicly right now. I'm the best palette wrapper on this team. I can wrap the palettes <laughs> better than anybody on this team. And that is intentional because I want that team and I want anybody, any new staff, I teach them how to wrap palettes. And I do that because I don't have to. Like I've earned the right. I've paid my dues. Like I've, I've literally earned the right to not have to wrap pallets. But guess what we do a lot of? We wrap a lot of pallets and we push a lot of heavy things and we move a lot of pieces because we're in the event business. Well, the president can't just be in charge of email. I want to be in charge of making sure that they, that we wrap good pallets. <laughs> it's not, it's 100% not micromanaging. I don't even know how to do that. What it is, is going, Hey, I want to show you this. I want to show you that it matters to me. I want to show you that you matter to me. And I want to show you that the culture we're going to create is nobody in terms of who does what. We all have our jobs. That's clear. We all have a standard of excellence. That's clear. But we also have all agreed to be a part of this team. And that means that we're all in on this together. You might be the sales director, but on event weeks, you're in operations. You know, like we each have these, these things. So I think it's, it's exactly what Brian says. Now, you do need to have a template for what you want. The culture you want to create, but you got to live it out. If you're not going to live it out, it's 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 just words. So another thing I want to ask you about is, you know, for for Catalyst being an organization that is all about developing church leaders, what does development look like for the staff of Catalyst? Like, what do you do to intentionally develop the staff yeah. of Catalyst? That's good. I mean, we have consistent uh, quarterly and yearly, you know, um, uh, staff development times, evaluations, and you know. We're, we're, we're working on that consistently. We do um, staff meetings once or twice a month, depending on the month and the events we've got going on, where either I'll teach on some leadership principles, we'll watch a video. It's just real intentional thinking about what is it, what's going on in our space right now. And I, honestly, I think one of my favorite things is even though we're not a church, we still are a place where people can operate in their spiritual gifts. They can operate in the gifts that God's given them. We, they can, like. Why would we divorce those and say that only happens at church? No, I feel like what God gives us uniquely, we need to be using day in and day out with our families. We need to be using that with uh, with our staff. And so trying to give a place and a culture where people feel like they can be themselves, they can experiment, they can go, uh, they can be aggressive going after Jesus. They can pray specifically towards things. So we pray a lot together. Um, but I, I think a huge part of that is we'll do books together. We'll do these things. And I say this all the time. Listen, the, one of the biggest issues I watched at church is people came onto a church staff expecting for the pastor to grow their development, mm. to grow their personal walk, to do these things. And I will make it so crystal clear when I, when I hire somebody. Now, here's what I'm hiring you to do, and here's what I need to make sure you understand. We are going to devote you. We are going to push you. We're going to challenge you. We're going to give you opportunities to grow, but it is not my responsibility for you to grow. It is your responsibility for you to grow. And you can say all day long, 
uh, that they didn't grow me. But if you showed up and we had asked you to read this book and you didn't read it, that's on you. I can't grow your personal relationship with Jesus. I'm going to I'm going to push you. I'm going to throw some Bible verses that are meaning something to me. And we're going to have speakers come in and do this. But it is your job. It is not my job. It is your responsibility to have help in the, those areas. If you want to develop, that is going to be on you. We're going to give you the tools, but I can't do that for you. I remember Andy Stanley used to say, uh, healthy leaders won't stay in an unhealthy organization. I, I get that. That makes sense to me, right? But then he would also say, unhealthy leaders won't stay in a healthy organization. I remember thinking, I don't know if I agree with that completely. I don't understand that. But then I watch, and, I, and what you realize is if you're unhealthy, and you're in a healthy organization that's day in and day and out saying this is what it looks like to be healthy and this is where we need you need to be to be healthy, but you don't want to go there. You're not going to want to be in a healthy organization because you're day in and day out being reminded that what you're doing, the way you're acting, the behavior, the, the this, that, and the other is not um, is not healthy. Well, who wants to be told that over and over again unless you want to be changed? And so I get that now. It makes a lot of sense. Now, again. Everybody's description of healthy, unhealthy, like that's not the point of this. The point is we've got to figure out a way to create a culture with people that are bought into it um, and that they they come in going, I'm willing to give as much to this place as they're, they're going to give me. That's the only way you grow as a leader. So one of the things that I find interesting uh, about Catalyst is, now let's be honest, this is a the thing. There are Christian celebrities and Christian okay. celebrities look a little bit different, right? There are pastors and people like this who who we all of a sudden elevate and you hear them every week talking and you're around a lot of these great these people. Yeah. But the thing that's interesting about them is oftentimes they're great leaders. Um. So one of the things we wanted to ask you is you've gotten to know a lot of them well, not just on stage but off stage as well. Yeah. And one and something that we hear all the time that's very important is you know character isn't just who who you are whenever you're in front of people, but who you are when you're not in front of people. And so, what are some things? What are characteristics or habits that some of these people that that you've been around possess that um, that others might yeah. not think of uh, that they do to set themselves apart? Uh, I. A few things come to mind because I, I, I try to emulate some of these because I see it and I want to be more like that. Uh, most of them are incredibly disciplined people, um, organized, disciplined. Even if they're not naturally wired that way, they've created systems to be healthy physically, to make sure they're exercising. I mean, that's that's a legit thing that they are healthy physically and emotionally. You know, um, I, it's 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 really important that we're healthy um, we've dealt with things in our past that we are like that we can move forward emotionally in ways that are healthy. So I, you see them very disciplined. I think humility is a big piece of that. Anytime we've had speakers come in and there's a sense of arrogance or entitlement, it just kind of doesn't fit with the DNA of what we're trying to do. And it's been good and they have a great message, but it might not be the right place for them. And so trying to create a consistent group that, uh, like, Obviously, Craig Rochelle does a ton of stuff with us. Well, Craig is incredibly disciplined. Craig is very humble. Um, Craig is like, and again, it goes back because he's so disciplined. There's a weight on how we steward his time, right? There's a weight on how we take care of him. What kind of food do we have in a way that that so he's not going? Oh, I don't want to eat fried chicken tenders, which I would have at every meal, uh, <laughs> you know. But like, how do how do we serve Craig in a way so that he feels like we're stewarding his time really well? Uh, the closer I get to some of these guys and girls, um, the more I respect them, the more I see the way they love their families. I just had a podcast call, uh, right before this with Priscilla Shire, her entire thing right now is saying so many no's she gets used to it because she's saying yes to her kids. Mm. Well, people that do that and make wise priority decisions tend to get more influence. They just do. And then, and because they're, they're, they're being smart and they're showing and they're modeling some of those things. I think what you find is when you get the leaders that you tend to maybe lose respect for on these kind of levels, they've usually been the ones maybe pursuing that spot, maybe going after those things. But you watch when things unfold for certain people. I mean, Craig Rochelle is not an overnight success. Her life church is 22 years old. It started in a garage, two door garage. And they put mirrors in the garage to make it feel like there's more people there, right? right? Nobody hears that story anymore, right? But that's still Craig. He sees that. He remembers that. And I think it's one of those that he's never kind of 
you can tell the leaders that have bought into their own, they've read their own press and they've started to think that they are the reason that they're successful. And I think it's the Christian leaders who always are recognizing the Lord is the reason for their opportunities and their success that you go, there's a kindredness here. I respect you. But at the end of the day, integrity is mission critical to being able to do that. And, you know, I, here's the thing about the Christian celebrity thing. People say that all the time. And it's almost like they're frustrated with it, right? Okay. but. These are men and women that have influence right. because they create great content. They create life-giving things, principles. They are serving a community. Obviously, they're going to grow in influence. And obviously, guess what they do on Sundays? They li- literally physically stand on a stage, which is above. It is uh, like it's. And what happens is a lot of leaders want it. They, they want to poke fun or they want to be cynical or they want to point fingers uh, because there's something in them that, that wants that or wants to be in that position or even that, like, they just don't understand what all goes behind it. Here's what I know. Like, even my assistant yesterday, she just looked at me and she was like, even our team doesn't know all the stuff that you take and carry for us. They just don't know. And so it's easy, it's easy to sit by, and a lot of young leaders are really good at this. I was that, I did this for years. I would look at somebody and I would be cynical or I would be uh, able to kind of be like, well, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. Just give me that opportunity. The problem is if we got that opportunity before we were ready for it, it would crush us. Mm. And to watch these men and women carry it with such grace, with such mercy, with such humility and integrity. There is a reason a lot of them have influence, and there's a reason a lot of them lose influence at some point. But we can get in that to you know that's a subject for another day. You know, it it reminds me so much of actually something that Catalyst talked about a few years ago, and your guys is uh, I think the year that you did like the known uh, yeah theme and everything. Yep. So, yeah, that the process does the process the destination doesn't define you, the yeah, process defines you exactly. So, kind of what I want to ask about switching gears a little bit. Um, is what are some of the daily habits that you have to do that help you be at your best? Oh man. Um, I, I mentioned chicken tenders. That's probably a piece of the equation. Somewhere Craig Rochelle right now is cringing. <laughs> yeah. I, literally two weeks ago one day he ordered trout and I ordered a fried pork chop and I felt like well, something here, like I, either he's going to kill me or he's really jealous right now. Is one of the two. It could have been either one. Because I would have been jealous of what I was eating. You know. Um, so here, here's a couple things. Number one is my highest priority is my, my two boys and my wife. And so daily, I leave this office every time I can. There's some days they can't. It's just part of life. But I'm out of here by 4, 4.15. Because that gets me home, gives me a few hours with my kids. That's just not a, a non-negotiable. Uh, another activity is I still coach my youngest soccer team. I don't have time to do it. I really don't, but I love it because it's his. I want to influence him and, and serve him as his dad, not as the director or uh, president of Catalyst. That, he doesn't care about that. You know, he loves what we get to do, but I'm his dad first and foremost. I want to take my wife out on date nights as much as we possibly can. Like there's some of those practices. Uh, I, you know, and this is not a Jesus juke as John Acuff would refer to it. I've got to have consistent time with the Lord has to be there. If I'm not overflowing with life because it's inflowing into me, man, I I got nothing to offer leaders. I've got nothing on my own to offer them. If I don't have something coming into me from a spiritual perspective. So prayer and, 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 and Bible time. I mean, that's, that's a really important stuff. I think one of the things, if I'm being completely candid, that's missing from my my habits over the last year or so because it's gotten so busy and I've been trying to finish this book and all these other things that have come is my friendships have taken a little bit of a backseat. My friendships outside of these circles, you know what I mean? And you find yourself realizing, and I, I write about this all the time, you can tell the health of a leader by the health of their friendships outside of their organization. Mm. And so I've recognized, man, I've a couple of my really close friends, I, I had breakfast with one of them, one of my best friends in the world a month ago. And I was like, dude, I miss you. And I'm sorry. I've just been kind of, and I realized how much life that brought to me by, by being in those conversations. And so, man, you've got to have great relationships. You, I, I know way too many leaders that are in their 70s that have no close friends. And that's no good. You know, if we're going to do this thing for the long haul, 
we better have men and women in our lives that are that are going to be there with us because we we nurture those relationships. So that's that's a few things that come to mind as I think about some daily habits. What are people overvaluing right now when it comes to leadership? I mean, it's a buzzword. It always will be. I think, but if you break down to the to the core of it, John Maxwell described leadership as influence, right? So if we just see it as truly how are we stewarding the influence, the circle of influence that we have, then leadership's not a buzzword. It's a reality. It's just what are we doing with that time? And so um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I see people overvaluing. I think I think there's a lot of people that will overvalue the leader at the top and undervalue the, re- the, the rest of the group and, and not see that as as important a leadership. And what I what I know Jesus did in, in Matthew 20 was literally go, you see how the world uh, lets a little power go to their head, how they exercise authority over. It. And he literally goes, we're going to turn this thing upside down. And the person at the top is not going to be the person that lords it over them. It's actually going to be the greatest servant. And it's going to serve all the way down to the organization. So I, I just think we we have to um, we we just can't continue to fight for positional leadership, as John Maxwell says, is the lowest level of leadership. We have to continue to fight to be level five leaders, which is over is not over emphasizing position. It is under emphasizing that and over emphasizing loving, serving, caring, being a part of this thing. So. I, that's just something that comes to mind as I think about that. I mean, yeah, there's principles out there. I don't, I don't really see a whole lot where I'm like, gosh, everybody take a chill pill, relax. Man, that was like the 80s just came back big time. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but like, for real, like, you know, you see people over him. I, I don't see a time where I'm like, that's just way off or that's wrong. Now, there's some theological things or doctrine. There's, yeah. You know, that's we're all different on that. We come from a different spectrum. And, and I, I just don't. I don't get as worked up about some of that. I, I can if we spent time on it. What I want to do, back to the earlier conversation, Jesus, 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 let's stay there. Let's not get bogged down in all those differences. We can deal with that in a different place, in a different space. Let's talk about how do we serve Jesus and lift the name of Jesus above all things through our lives, through our ministries, through our family. On the flip side of that, what are people underestimating or undervaluing right now when it comes to leadership? You know, this is, I think this is uh, something I've learned over the last few years, but um, I think, and seminaries are notoriously not great at this. We spend so much time on exegesis, on hermeneutics, on preaching, on studying the word, which is incredibly valuable. But my, out of 30 courses I took for my MDiv, I took zero courses on leadership. I took zero courses on business, how to be a steward of the resources that I'm entrusted with. That's leadership and business, whether it's financial resources or people resources. If I do not know how to handle those well, that's an issue. That's almost a bigger issue than me not being able to preach the best message on the planet. Does that make sense? Because yeah. what will happen is I can preach lights out on Sunday, and then I show up on Monday, and nobody wants to be around me because they don't trust me. Nobody believes that I know how to steward the, the finances and the budgets and the P&Ls that have been entrusted to me. So there's such a um, I just think sometimes we underestimate the power of understanding good business principles so that we can steward the resources God's given us. Those principles were given by God through different people. Like it's not it's not a secular thing to say I'm going to be a good steward, so I want to know the best business principles. To me that very well could be the most spiritual thing you do today is make sure you have the resources to serve the community that you're in. That's a big deal and a lot of people just kind of go, "Oh, I'll get somebody to do that or oh, I'll figure that out." Or I don't really have to care about the staff. I'll get an executive pastor or a chief of staff. Uh, yeah, you better learn how to care for your staff, or you will not have people sitting around you. You know, Tyler. Sorry, I get a little worked up no. about that one, Caleb. That's a big one. <laughs> oh, you're you're speaking my language right now. Hey, hey we, you mentioned it earlier, but you know, you said one of the things that you know you're always trying to do at Catalyst is you know see kind of what the next year or two is going to look like, and so. You know, just as, you know, play fortune teller for us for a little bit, you know, or even like what what would you say would be um, like a couple of things either today or that you see over the next year or two that um, that the church leaders need to start paying attention to? 
That's a good question. I think you're, um, I definitely think you're going to see a shift now from the millennial generation to this kind of gen, uh, what do they call it? Gen Z. Gen Z. Uh, There's some, that's a, there's a bit, some big differences in those generations and, and, and learning those, studying those. I know Barna and Jonathan Morrow just came out with a new study about the Gen Z generation and, and what, what are they attracted to? What do they care about? That's actually a really valuable resource to get to study this and learn what is next. What are they paying attention to? Uh, because what's funny, and you guys know this, like a lot of older leaders, man, they're just now trying to think about Gen X. And you're going, okay, guys, you're going to have to pick up speed here and, and get, I mean, yeah, I need you to know about my generation. But look, we're leading right now. We're not, we're not, we're not in the wings anymore. Like we're leading these areas. Jim, Jim, you know, the, the millennials are, they're leading, they're, I, half my team is millennials and they're leading day in and day out, but I got to lead them well to prepare them for their next season. Whoa, now I got this new generation that has some different perspectives that have different labels, have different stereotypes. So I think the generational thing is, is a constant. We always have to pay attention to that. I think uh, you're seeing a lot of change in church space of what people are attracted to. The attractional model uh, that was so popular and prevalent for the last 20 years has still works in some communities, still works in some areas, but a lot of young leaders, a lot of, a lot, a lot of students, they're not interested in that. They want a little bit more depth spiritually. They want to be in places. You're, you're seeing a rise of the Pentecostal movement and uh, seeing a lot of people open to the things of the spirit that might not have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago. There's just a different posture there. So uh, paying attention to that, I, I was on a board at Fuller where they talked about almost every denomination in the U.S. is either plateaued or declining except for the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Well, that's a big deal because if you look at the Southern Hemisphere, which is the centerpiece of, or the, the most Christians are in the Southern Hemisphere now, it's almost all Pentecostal. It's almost all in this kind of this vein, if that makes sense. And so um, we just have to be recognized as a trend. We've got to pay attention to those things. Um, and how does social media, is it going to swing back where people don't want to be on anything? You know, like what are those things? Like we got to figure some of that out. At the end of the day, here's what we know. People are always going to want to be in a relationship. People are always going to want space to meet with their Heavenly Father. There's some things that aren't going to change. And we just got to figure out how to make sure we keep those steady, consistent things there. And then see these trends and move forward in marketing and sales and all these different ways. But that's, that's always going to be part of our lives as leaders, is learning. You know, Tyler, just as we're kind of moving towards the end of our interview, we always have a few questions that we always love to ask people. And the first one is, you know, what's one thing that you've started doing recently that has helped you a lot, either personally or professionally? Uh, when I get home, uh, I put my phone up and I put it up for four or five hours. I try to. I, I, I have to be confessing I'm not great at it every day. But I do that because this day and age, there's not office hours anymore. And if I don't do that, it takes a place at the table. It takes a place in my family. It, because I just, I get back and as soon as I get that text or that, whatever, I go right back there. I get, my brain goes right back to work instead of right back to my boys, right back to my wife. Like I just, it's an exercise I'm trying to do so that I can literally, and I've told everybody in this building, including my chairman, if you don't get a response from me from five to nine, it's because my phone is not with me. And it's hard to do that. It's really hard to do that. Cause I like to play candy crush. No, I'm just kidding. That's an old game. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, it's fun, but you know what you find is you, you numb, you don't want to deal with emotions and things because you'll go to your phone. Technology has become a numbing thing for us. It's, it's a medicator for the way that we, we live our lives to where it's like, Oh, well, if I got nothing to do, then I'll just kind of numb out over here on, on this thing instead of going, Hey, let's play a game together. Let's talk. Let's do these things. So, um, that's, that's one thing that I've been doing lately that I'm really just trying to get better at because I want I want to feel things. I want to be able to be present with my family. Um, and look, I've got a lot of young leaders. They need to see an example in their lives of a leader who's leading at a high capacity, but also has not sacrificed their family for that. Um, that's a big deal to me. So uh, figuring out how to do that as well as I can is, is a big part of that. How do you learn best? Like when you're, when you're learning new stuff, how do you learn best? Man. That's a good question. Um, I, I listen to a lot of books. Um, I drive a lot, so I'm listening to Audible all the time. Um, I learn best in community. I just do. I learn best when I'm processing. I'm, I'm a high collaborator. 
So I learn best when I'm sitting around with my executives and we're brainstorming and trying to grow and, and take that principle that we all heard. We're like, what are we going to do with that? We process it together and work through it together. So uh, I really, that's, that's always been a thing. So it's hard for me to come in here, close the door and try to get work done, close, you know, learn and do this kind of, I got to learn my learning time. I just kind of let it be a part of my day to day. I'm always trying, I have a system where I try to learn some little leadership nugget every day something I can apply and wrestle with. And a lot of times that's from scripture. A lot of times it's from the book I'm reading, you know, this, that, and the other. Then I just kind of tease it out. I have to talk it out. So uh, a lot of times when I tease it out in my brain, it gets real weird. So I got to talk it out uh, with people. What are you reading right now? Uh, to be completely frank, I'm finishing the last round of edits on my book. So I've been reading that <laughs> way too much. <laughs> but I have to, you got to get that thing finished. Um, you know, I always read Harvard business review as much as I can just to stay up on some kind of current world thoughts on leadership and those sorts of things. Um, I I'm trying to look I'm reading a, a book. Uh, I'm finishing Bill Hybels courageous leadership. I've, I've never read it before. It's, it's really good. Um, what else am I reading right now? I'm listening to a book called Bose Cafe for a men's group that I lead. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's kind of like a shack, but it's a different version. It's, it's a fiction story around grace. It's, pretty, it's really actually pretty good. Um, and uh, gosh, that's four or five that are in the, in the vein of what I'm reading right now. So, And then what are you learning right now, Tyler? Man, I'm learning that I still have to – Back to an earlier thought, I still have to be a really good business leader to be a really good Christian leader, to be a really good ministry leader. I want to steer, I want one of the big things I've been learning over the last six months, and God's been teaching me about being fully alive. That's our theme for the fall. And that's why I, like, I feel like I've got to go there first. There were some parts of my life that I think have been dormant for a long time because I didn't want to go there because they were going to be pain, painful. And for me to be fully alive, all of those areas have to be addressed and they all have to be fully alive. And a big part of that was what I grew up financially in has dictated some worldview stuff of mine. And I just, I don't want my boys to think that way. I don't want them to have a scarcity mindset. I want them to have an abundance mindset. God, the God we serve is abundant. He's beautiful. He's, you know, and, and, and I just, I've been leading in some ways that I was frustrated because they came out of places when I was a teenager that I put in a mindset of going, you know, I want to, when it comes to finances specifically, I, I really had a hard time thinking more than just what's in my hand right now. Like, and I started leading that way, you know, it was like, Hey, why do we, if we don't have the money for an IT plan, why would, why would we create an IT plan? You know, it's like, well, because we're going to be good stewards of what's coming before us, you know? So that's, that's a little bit, you know, it's obviously personal, but it's very real. And yeah. what I'm trying to learn, um, yeah, I think that's that. There's a lot, honestly. You just put me in a place where I'm like, oh gosh, my brain just almost exploded with all the things I'm learning. But but at the end of the day, that's that's a big part of it. Is I want to lead, I want to lead well in all these aspects. And I think there's parts I'm really good at a few of them, and there's a few that I've got to take some hard looks at and, and try to make sure what's my part in that and how do I get better at it. Yeah, that's really powerful. You know, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. You know, if people want to pre-order your book or if they want to continue to learn more from you what's the yeah. best way for them to do that i think the pre-orders on amazon right now it's called the life-giving leader learning to lead from your truest self so that's that's on amazon but at tyler reagan on on social media and then just tylerreagan.com you can kind of keep up with what's going on so yeah and then obviously catalyst leader matters more to me than all that anyway so <laughs> uh, it's just a part of it it's part of the job right yeah uh, it's something i enjoy doing it's i honestly never thought i'd write a book this is, is a really cool thing because it's uh but when you lead a leadership organization, you should create content. So that's a part of what I've been doing lately. It's stuff I've been teaching for years. I just finally put it somewhere, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for being on. So, Todd, that was a great conversation with Tyler. A lot of takeaways from it. What's one or two that you took away from our conversation with him? First off, y'all can't see those catalyst offices were really sweet looking just the background where he was at and i've seen him post some pictures from their offices on instagram that's a sweet setup that's not the really important takeaway though the really important takeaway that i got was he said something on there about uh we asked this question about the people that he's around and stuff like that and his response was interesting he he said 
that these pe people think that you know they just were uh, popped up overnight or like like he, he used the example of Craig Rochelle and like he said Craig remembers the days when they were in the garage and they had um, you know the the overhead projector going and he said yeah. this isn't this isn't something that just popped up overnight it it wasn't this success that just occurred these people have put in serious work like very serious work. And, and not just for a year or two, like for 20 years. And what it reminded me of is something that Gary Vaynerchuk says all the time. By the way, Gary, if you want to come on the show, we would love to have you on the show. You're just shouting out to everybody today. Gary V, um, please come on the show. Love to talk to you. Um, but, but Gary says all the time, patience. He talks about patience all the time. And, and dude, like, do, you, we, do, do we have the patience to wait 20 years of really hard work until big things really start to happen. I think of Patrick Lencioni, people like that, who've been doing this for so many years. And, and you know, he's saying, hey, these people, like, they work hard. Like, they work. And so, you know, for me, the importance of, of not of, of not just waiting for your break, but, but, like, working at the same time. Well, to even, to even further your point, I was listening to a great podcast uh -oh. the other day. I was uh -oh. listening to... Rethinking Youth Ministry. Rethinking Youth Ministry. One of, one of my favorite podcasts. And uh, they shout were, out all the people over there. They were talking on the podcast and it was about setting yourself up um, for long term ministry. And one of the statements on there that really stood out to me was by uh, Kurt Johnson. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've never seen a great leader over 35. What? I know. He said Say that. Say this again. He said, I've never seen a great leader over 35, but I have seen talented people who are under 35. And he said, that's the idea of, he said, there's a freeing idea in oh, that. Yeah, I remember this now when he said this. I know. He said, oh, there's a freeing yeah. idea in that is that you're like, you and to your point, you need to have the patience to figure out who you are. Yeah. You and you because and I like the, this. because the greatest impact you that you're like, I hope the greatest impact that I make is not like right now. I hope it's right. 40 years yeah. from now. I just posted something the other day on Instagram about that. Yeah. Or like, I hope that, the, that whenever I die and people are at my funeral, that they're not talking about how great of a leader I was, but they're talking about like how well I loved. And that it's the same, it's the same principle where like, if the biggest things that I'm doing right now, like if the greatest thing that Mark Zuckerberg ever does was when he was in his twenties and he created Facebook, it's probably going to be the most noteworthy thing he's ever done. But if that's all he ever rested on. Yep. Um, is that really that's a not the type of life we want to live? Right. And so, what are we gonna what are we gonna do to build off of that? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great quote. Shout out Kurt Johnson, man. Man, we got really deep there. That got. Yeah. So, All right, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> go, go. Thanks, so, thanks so much for listening to this podcast today. Don't forget, check out Tyler's book. It's available for pre-order right now, and you can do that on Amazon. We have a great episode for you next week that Boom. you do not want to miss. That's for real. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. And so do that. Also, if this podcast has helped you in any way, leave us a rating, write a review of the podcast on iTunes, and then let us know what you're learning about. Hit us up on social media, Twitter, at Learners Corner, or sorry, at Learners Podcast, Instagram, at The Learners Corner. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Ball. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.